and sat beside the sea. And the great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And in, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For the one who has more, the one who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their eyes, or with their ears, they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word, and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. 
The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he, did, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed in, is the Son of Man. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Father, would you give us ears to hear this morning? Would you give us hearts to understand? Father, we ask for your help this morning. That you would draw out our sin and inflame our affection for you. It's in your Son, Jesus' name, that I pray. Amen. Have you ever noticed when somebody starts getting dull of hearing? I'm not saying uh, they start to lose their hearing. Their hearing just starts to become dull. Like when a husband is sitting in the recliner watching TV and the wife says five times in a row to turn the TV down. The husband just happens to not hear it. Or when a parent tells their child to do the chores for the fifth time, for the sixth time, for the tenth time. Let me illustrate it like this. I heard a person, a couple, talk about when they traveled to New York City to visit their friends who had just moved into an apartment. They went to their friend's apartment, and as they were sitting down having coffee, the room started to shake. Out of nowhere, this loud horn and shaking gets louder and rushes by, and the couple that's visiting their friends nearly drops their coffee. They look at their friends and say, what in the world was that? And their friends shrugged their shoulders and said, well, it's just the 10 o'clock train passing by. We got used to it about a month in. We hardly notice it anymore. You see, this is the thing, though, that tends to happen. Although things may become like white noise to us, it doesn't mean that it's not happening. Although the couple who lives next to the subway in New York City, they hardly hear the train pass by anymore, that does not mean that the train is not passing by. We're seeing something similar here in these parables. We are coming to what is called the parabolic discourse. This is the third out of the five of Jesus' teaching in the Gospel of Matthew. The first teaching we saw was the Sermon on the Mount. The second teaching was when Jesus was commissioning His disciples to go and bring the news of the kingdom and to heal people. And now we're getting to the third, which the third discourse or the third teaching, Jesus is going into unpack or going to unpack and explain for us in greater detail by using parables, so maybe not in great detail, what the kingdom of heaven is like. 
But what we first need to understand is why Jesus uses parables. And this is what we will see today, is an understanding of why Jesus uses parables. And in this message today, as we're looking at this third discourse, this third sermon or teaching, we're going to see Jesus use four parables. Two of the parables are explained for us, while two of them are not. These parables teach one theme for us this morning. They teach one theme for the disciples and the crowds who were here in Jesus. That is that the kingdom of heaven is on the move. That although it might not be evident to the eye, the kingdom of heaven is on the move. And so this morning, as we work through this passage, we're going to work through it a little bit different than what normally happens. Normally, we work through a passage from A to Z, from 1 to 10. This morning, though, because Jesus helps me out of explaining what some of these parables means, we're going to link the parable and the explanation together. Before we get to the parables, though, I'd like to take time just to explain why Jesus uses parables. So, the outline this morning of what this message will look like is something like this. Point one, why does Jesus use parables? This is verses 10 through 17. Why does Jesus use parables? That's point one. Point two, we'll take a look at the parable of the sower. This is verses 1 through 9. And then what we'll do is we'll also add in there 18 through 23. In our third point, we'll take a look at the parable of the weeds. This is verses 24 through 30 and 36 through 43. And then for our fourth point, we will look at the parable of kingdom growth. This is verses 31 through 35. So, first point, why does Jesus use parables? Second point, the parable of the sower. Third point, parable of the weeds. And fourth point, parable of kingdom growth. So, we get to our first point. Why does Jesus use parables? People would not pick up in our day and age, pastors, preachers would not pick up Jesus's book if he wrote a book on how to communicate to lost people. How to preach a sermon to lost people. Because the way that he has now shifted from teaching and preaching about the kingdom of heaven is through the form of parables. What is a parable? A parable is a story that illustrates a point. We see this in nursery rhymes, as now we've read to have in over and over and over and over and over and over and over. We have become pretty familiar with old nursery rhymes. And it doesn't take long to start to notice that each nursery rhyme has some type of point in there that the author wanted to communicate. Whether it's choosing your friends wisely or being a helping hand so that way you can get the bread in the end or don't believe everything you always hear. I didn't realize that Chicken Little, the movie, was based off a nursery rhyme from years ago. But here we are. Parables are like nursery rhymes in the sense that it is a story that illustrates something. So, why is Jesus using parables? This was the disciples' question, wasn't it? Why do you speak to them in parables? Why haven't you watered down your message even more for the people to understand it more easily? Jesus' answer to the disciples is this, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has more will be given 
and he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This might draw our attention to the parable of talents when Jesus is talking about the talents. What he's saying is that as he's been preaching and proclaiming the the kingdom of heaven and what it is like to people, whether it is in houses or synagogues or wide open in the public, the people are burying the talent. The people are burying the message as if it doesn't exist. This is why he says, I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Their hearts have become hard to the message of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus even goes so far as to say that this was to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah says. Indeed, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. This is sort of like the person who, as you're communicating to them over the same thing, over and over, they just cannot understand what you could possibly be saying. And although they try to use different methods and different illustrations and different ways it lands on deaf ears again and again. They cannot perceive or understand what Jesus is saying. Why? This is the question. Why can they not perceive or understand? Well, Jesus tells us. He tells us. Because their hearts have grown dull. I don't know about you, but this worries me. What worries me is that their hearts grew dull as they saw Jesus performing these signs and wonders, as they heard the kingdom of heaven unpacked and explained to them. Their hearts grew dull. Their hearts grew hard. Should this not be a warning to us? The only question I can think of to ask here is, have your hearts grown dull? Has your heart grown dull to the message that Jesus Christ has paid for your sin? Have your hearts grown dull with seeing the the growth in people's hearts that the, the kingdom is taking shape and form in places around you? Has your heart grown dull to prayer, to the reading of Scripture, to the communion and fellowship with God? Has your heart grown dull? Has your heart grown dull to the proclamation of God's Word? Thinking about what's for lunch or who's coming over later. They do not understand and they do not perceive what Jesus is saying as He's teaching them the kingdom of God because their hearts have grown dull. And because their hearts have grown dull, he goes on to tell us, with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears or understand, and understand with their heart and turn, I would heal them. This is what the Apostle Paul says, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, then you can be saved from your sin. 
because the people's hearts have grown dull, Jesus is pronouncing judgment upon Israel. He's pronouncing judgment upon the people who barely hear Jesus and who have closed their eyes to to the miraculous signs and wonders that He's done that show that He is the Son of David, the long-awaited Messiah. And so because they have closed their eyes, and because they barely hear, He has pronounced judgment upon them. This root cause of barely hearing Jesus and closing their eyes is because of their dull hearts. Here are the people who had the right doctrine. Here are the people who faithfully attended synagogue week after week, who lived according to the law of God, and yet their heart has become dull. It has become hardened to the things of God. How true can it be said in our churches? That our hearts are so quickly prone to become dull to the things of God. That we start to prefer some things over other things instead of worshiping Jesus. Pleading with Jesus. We've already seen it, haven't we? That a bruised reed He will not break, nor will He smother a smoldering wick. Jesus has already given us this promise to us. But in response, oftentimes, we do not go to Him in prayer, asking and pleading, sharpen my heart, Jesus. Set it aflame. Set it on fire. Instead, we give in to the dullness. And so Jesus here speaks in parables because their hearts have become dull. But to the disciples, to the disciples, He says, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears hear. How is this possible? Well, we know that if the crowds don't understand Jesus because their hearts have become dull, then the disciples, their hearts haven't become dull. Why is this? Because they see Jesus as the Messiah. They see Jesus as the King. They see Jesus for who He says He is. And with childlike faith, they follow Him. They have given up all to follow Jesus who is called the Christ. They trust that what He says He is, He really is. The Messiah. The Son of God. And because they have given up all to follow Him, He ends, we we, we see Him end this This part telling His disciples, For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it and hear what you hear and did not hear it. As the prophets and righteous people were prophesying about the Messiah, the Son of David who would establish the eternal kingdom, they longed to be a part of that time. And here we see that the disciples have the privilege of walking alongside Jesus and seeing this. And don't we have that same privilege too? That we now have the Word of God for us to direct us and to show us who Jesus is. So our eyes are blessed too when we see Jesus as the Messiah, Jesus as the Savior, Jesus as the sinless Lamb who has come to take away the sins. Our eyes are blessed too like the disciples when we see Jesus as the King, as our Lord. We partake in something incredible that the prophets that we read about like Jeremiah, like Ezekiel, like Isaiah, like Amos, like some of these other prophets 
prophesied about, we get to see the reality of the eternal kingdom taking shape right before our eyes. Why would our hearts grow dull when this is the case? That as we see the kingdom become more and more of a reality in front of us, why would our hearts grow dull? One reason may be because of sin. One reason may be because of the sin that is in our heart. An unrepentant sin that we refuse to give up. A sin that we so boldly want to hold on. So stubbornly want to take hold of and keep for ourselves. Another reason why our hearts may grow dull is because of our own laziness to not go and see disciples made. Far too often we, we complain not seeing a movement or work of the Spirit and yet the Spirit has been put in us to go. And so if we want to see the Spirit move, then might I suggest that we boldly, boldly go and trust God doing the work He has set before us. And what is that work? This is what we will see now. We'll see this work, that the kingdom is on the move. So as we move to our second point of the parable of sower, we see four seeds. Well, we see one seed and four soils. This parable called uh, the parable of the sower isn't necessarily the greatest title because the thing that stays consistent is the sower. The thing that stays consistent is the seed. The thing that changes is the soil. The emphasis that Jesus is putting here is on the soil. There's four different types of soil. The first soil that we see is the soil that's on a path. Now, if you go for a walk and you're walking on a dirt path, you'll notice that the dirt path is pushed down. It's packed in. There's not much room for a seed to take root. There's not much protection for the seed. Because the soil has been walked over and packed down, there's no opportunity for the seed to get planted. And so Jesus tells them that what happens is that a bird comes and takes the seed away. The bird sees the seed as lunch. Jesus goes on to tell us exactly what this means. He says that the seed is the word of the kingdom of heaven. This is the gospel that he's been going and proclaiming, the good news, by telling people to repent and be baptized. But because this seed was planted on the path, there is no place for it to take root. And so the bird, who is the devil, snatches away the word of the kingdom of heaven. The good news. Do we not see this time and time again in the Pharisee's life as Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom of heaven? As they harden their hearts and the evil one snatches the seed away, do we not see this time after time as the, or as the Pharisees are even aware of at times that Jesus is talking about them? And they refuse to believe out of the hardness of their heart. And so what takes place is that the bird or the devil snatches it away. We see this happening with the religious leaders, those who are the intellects that are explaining away the miracles, explaining away the kingdom of God, explaining away what Jesus is communicating. The next soil that we see is the soil of the rocky ground. The sower, he plants the seed. The seed 
is the good news of the kingdom of heaven. But what takes place here this time is as the seed gets planted in the rocky soil, it sprouts up right away and it is scorched out almost as quick as it sprouts up. Jesus explains to us that this is the person who receives the kingdom with joy. And so they sprout up and are willing to go to the ends of the earth for the cause of spreading Christ. But as soon as persecution, as soon as people start to question, as soon as something hard takes place, as soon as trials of various kinds come, the sun scorches them out and they wither. We see this in the crowds, do we not? Who were excited and eager to receive what Jesus could give them. Who were so quick and ready to try to force Jesus to become their king because he had given them free food. And yet, when he started speaking hard things, like being persecuted, they leave. Do we not see this in an interaction that Jesus has with a man? As the man eagerly comes up to Jesus and says, I will give up all to follow you, Jesus. And Jesus says, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And the man immediately walks away. This is the soil when the seed, or this is the rocky soil, and this is the outcome of what happens to the seed that is planted on rocky soil. When persecution or trials or affliction come, although the seed may quickly and joyfully receive, as soon as the sun scorches it out, it withers. As we now look, we see the third type of soil. This soil has thorns and weeds growing around it. And so as the seed is planted here, it grows up, but the thorns choke it out and it dies. This is the one that Jesus tells us is the one who receives the good news of the kingdom. Grows along with the thorns. But as the cares of this world start to creep in and riches start to have a grasp on a person's heart, it slowly chokes them out. This is a slow poison to the soul. We get a good illustration here in the life of the rich young ruler. Although the rich young ruler, he was able to perceive this before he started following Jesus. The rich young ruler, as, as it goes, was, came up to Jesus and said, I will follow you. And Jesus asks him, have you kept the commandments? Yes, I've kept them all. This is a prime candidate to follow Jesus, is it not? He had status, he had wealth, he had power. And yet when Jesus tells him to go and sell all that he has, the rich young ruler could not do that because his riches had a hold on his heart. Or maybe we could look at one of the disciples. Judas, the betrayer, who followed Christ for a time, who followed Christ for three years. And yet, at the end, traded Christ in for a 20 piece. Because the cares of this world and riches had a grasp on his heart that he did not deal with. Now, there's two questions that should come from this for us this morning. This parable should cause us to ask two questions. As Paul tells us in Philippians to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, our first question is, where are you? 
Have you taken time to reflect and ask the question, have the cares of this world, have riches started choking me out? Have you asked yourself the question, do I quickly receive the good news with joy because some type of emotional manipulation has been going on, but as soon as trials or persecution comes, I quickly forsake the thing that I say that I love and follow joyfully. Are you giving it an honest go at the gospel or the good news of the kingdom of heaven? Or are you allowing the evil one, to come and take away the seed right away. So where are you? You know, Christianity is not a religion just based off feeling. We are to think with our minds and contemplate. What soil are you? The second question that I think is an important question to ask is, do you trust God when you evangelize? Just as Jesus went out proclaiming the kingdom of heaven, and just as we saw Jesus commissioning the disciples to go out and proclaim the kingdom of heaven, we too have been commissioned to go out and proclaim the kingdom of heaven. Now therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I have commanded you to observe. Do you trust God when you evangelize? How freeing it should be after reading about this parable to evangelize to the lost. We are called simply to scatter the seed of the good news of the kingdom. And it is God who then brings the growth. We don't know the soil of people's souls. We weren't made to know the soil of people's souls. This is what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10. It's not for me to know who goes up and who goes down. It's me to faithfully bring the gospel of the good news to people. Do you trust God with your evangelism? I fear that far too many people, myself included, are afraid to evangelize at times because we don't know or cannot control the situation. This should be freeing to us that we don't need to know the soil of the soul. That we have been called to faithfully plant. And others of you have been called to faithfully water. But it is God who has been called to bring the increase. Do you trust God when you evangelize? You see, the kingdom is on the move and we have been called and commissioned to scatter the seed of the good news. Now as we look to our second parable, the parable of the weeds, we get a different tone here. Jesus does not water down the reality of hell for us. As we Look to verses 24 through 30 and 36 through 43. We get the parable of the weeds. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Jesus tells us that the one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. And the good seed is the sons or daughters of the kingdom. This is the people of God. But the one who comes in and sows the the weeds are the sons of the evil one. The enemy is the devil. The weeds are those who are at enmity with God. Those who are considered the children of wrath. Those who have not repented and trusted in Christ. So what is Jesus, or what does 
what happens in this parable. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared also, and the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in the gathering of the weeds you root up wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the, va- until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them and burn in bundles and to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So Jesus tells the disciples, that the devil is the one who sowed the weeds, and the weeds are those who are children of wrath. And the servants ask the master if they should go right away and cut down the weeds. But the master's response is no. Wait until the harvest time. And then we will separate the weeds from the wheat. And the weeds will be burned, or as Jesus says, will be thrown into a fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the harvest will be put into the barn. Whereas Jesus says, will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. There are two things to observe here. The first thing that we observe is the seriousness of God's judgment. Jesus does not shy away or water down the judgment of God because it is a scary, real thing. Hell is real. And as Jesus is using this parable to explain, He's explaining that the evil ones, the the weeds are the ones that get thrown into the fiery furnace. The weeds are the ones who are deceitful, who are liars, who are the children of wrath, those who are unrepentant in their sin, enemies of God, worshiping themselves, worshiping the creation rather than worshiping God. It is those who will be thrown into the fiery furnace. But not only is this furnace fiery, Jesus says that this furnace will also consist of weeping. Weeping. Daily and nightly weeping. Weeping for one's own sins. Weeping for one's own enmity with God. Weeping because they have no more chance to repent of their sin. Weeping because they see Christ high and lifted up. They see His holiness and they no longer have the opportunity to repent of their sin to bow down to Christ as Lord. And so because of that, they are thrown into the fiery furnace where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth. This is a place not only of emotional turmoil, but of physical turmoil. For eternity. For those who have not repented of their sin and trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior. But we also see something else. Our other observation that we must make note of is God's patience. God is a patient God. He has been a patient God. He is still a patient God. We must not buy into this lie that somehow the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament. Because we see in the Old Testament God's patience. He is a faithful and steadfast loving God who is patient. This is why when we see Noah and the ark and God says, I will no longer judge the world like this, we should praise God for His patience. And this is exactly what we are seeing here. Although God is a God of just judgment and those who do not repent of their sin will go to hell, God is also patiently waiting for the time of harvest. 
He is giving all those who will repent of their sins and trust in Jesus time. He is being patient. Is He being patient with you this morning? Have you trusted in Christ? Have you repented of your sin? Right now, this moment, you are experiencing the patience of God. You are experiencing His blessing of patience. He is still giving you time to repent. He is still giving you time to turn to Him. He is still giving you time to trust in what His Son Jesus has done. Jesus, Jesus. The King who has come to take away the sins of this world. Jesus who took away the sins of this world by being sacrificed on the cross, bearing God's wrath, taking our place, rising three days later, defeating sin and death. Are you here this morning and playing with God's patience? Turn to Him now. Turn to Him. Experience His mercy and grace. He will not turn away from you. Turn to Him before the harvest time comes. The kingdom is on the move. The wheat and the weeds are growing. And judgment time will come. But it is not time yet. And I know that because we're still here. So as we look to our last parable, we'll see what the kingdom growth looks like. It's a little bit different than maybe what we are used to. Jesus puts two parables before the disciples here about what kingdom growth looks like. The first, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. The mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds, but when it grows, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. At this time in history, the Jewish people would have saw the mustard seed as the smallest seed that they could possibly plant. The size of a mustard seed is no bigger than the head of a pin of a needle. And yet, when the mustard seed grows and it is planted in the ground, it grows to be upwards at times to 8 to 12 feet tall. Something so seemingly small, something that looks to be so insignificant, ends up becoming a place of refuge for birds. Let's look at the next parable, this fourth parable. He told another, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. This woman was about, she was making enough bread to feed about a hundred people with only a, a small amount of leaven. A small amount of leaven that what? Would not be seen. And for those of you who are bakers in here, know that what leaven does is leaven helps bread rise. It gives bread its fluffiness. But you put leaven in the mix and you don't see the leaven anymore. But if the leaven wasn't in the mix, then the bread would not rise. The kingdom, at times, is not seen by the eye. The kingdom at times is unexplainable. The kingdom at times takes root and is mixed up into a person's heart. And you don't 
necessarily see the change happen right away, but the change gradually happens over time in the person's heart. There's a transformation that takes place that may not be seen inside, but is noticeable over time on the outside. Kingdom growth tends to look small and insignificant. But it's undeniable in the end. We should not and must not judge the size of a tree based on the size of its seed. Just like we should not judge the power of the kingdom by the methods that Jesus has given us. To the world, it seems foolish that we would go out and plant seeds of the kingdom of God, and yet, the spiritual reality that takes place is kingdom growth. That person that you may share the gospel with and never see again may be the leaven that is put into their heart that nobody else can see. But the person can feel, can understand, is starting to experience. The kingdom may not always on the outside seem significant. But in the end, it is undeniable. So as we finish, let us leave here knowing that the kingdom may not look like it's moving. But it is. The kingdom may not be moving as fast as we would like, but mustard seeds are still being planted and leaven is still being put in. It may seem like that the kingdom is being hidden, but it's on the move. And we, as Christ's disciples, have been called to be the one to plant the seeds and to mix the leaven up. We've been called to evangelize, to disciple, and to trust that God is moving. Let us pray and ask God for help. Father, we thank You that although we may not see the kingdom move, it is moving. Use our lives to plant seeds and to mix leaven up. We pray this in Your Son, Jesus' name. Amen.